But this isn't worldly this week. We're actually having an episode from Future Perfect, a Vox podcast hosted by my colleague and one of my best friends, Dylan Matthews. Future Perfect is about ideas that could radically change how we do good around the world. This week's episode, I think, will be especially interesting for worldly listeners because it's all about the borders between countries. I start with a very intuitive example. This is Fabio Rojas, a sociologist. I lived in Chicago when I went to graduate school there. And every day, thousands upon thousands of people from Indiana and Wisconsin would travel to work in Chicago. And you'd say, that's all right. It's okay if somebody comes to Chicago to get a job. Who are we to tell somebody that traveling from Indiana to Chicago is a bad thing? They should decide for themselves. However, we don't apply the same logic or reason when we think about people from other countries. Why is it bad that a person from Canada or Germany or Mexico should come to our country? From the Vox Media Podcast Network, this is Future Perfect, a podcast where we look at big problems through the lens of effective altruism. I'm Dylan Matthews. Effective altruists are obsessed with increasing well-being, and they want to find low-cost, efficient ways to do it. One idea that seems low-cost, at least on its surface, open borders. As in, anyone who wants to come into the U.S. can come in. It doesn't matter where they're from, they have a standing invitation. It sounds like a radical idea in a country that's debating whether it's okay to separate immigrant parents from their kids. But the case for it is more compelling than you might think. Fabio Rojas, the guy we heard from at the top, is a professor at Indiana University in Bloomington. He's an active member of the open borders movement. We'll talk to him about the idea as something theoretical. And then we'll talk about how hard it can be to implement in practice. So to start, why would we want open borders? The immigrant themselves can often make themselves better economically. They can find a better job. A person from Mexico earns twice as much in the U.S. for doing the same job. And a person from Nigeria can earn 16 times as much. Open borders is low cost, easy, and almost sure to work for a lot of people. And almost no other policy has those properties. So, for example, people often say, instead of letting people migrate to America, why don't we try to reform that country? Why don't we try to make Mexico a less corrupt economy? So you have to ask, how would you actually reform Mexico? There's a lot of police violence down there. There's a lot of gang violence. These are incredibly hard problems that nobody has offered a good solution to. However, we know from hundreds of years of experience that migration is cheap, it's easy, and it works. Building schools. Even building a good school in the United States is really hard. Now imagine how much harder that is in a place like India or Mexico or Russia. Instead, the very simplest solution is to say, if you're honest to God, interested in helping poor people, simply tell the border patrol to take the day off. Tell them to take the year off and just let people move between countries and follow opportunities. And they will benefit way more directly and way more quickly than having us tinker with the government or the schools of another country. For an effective altruist, these are like the magic words. It's a low-cost intervention with a big effect on well-being. But I think if you're going to make the argument that opening borders is an ethical thing to do because it benefits the migrants, it's also important to look at what happens to the countries that people are leaving. 
So I asked Fabio Rojas about brain drain, for example, the risk that other countries would lose their best and brightest people and be worse off. When people move to another country to work, there's lots of spillover effects back into the country that sent them. Let me give you a very simple example from my own family. My in-laws are from the Philippines. They grew up in Manila, so I have a lot of family out there. And so it is common in the Philippines for people to work in the United States and then go back to the Philippines. What does that do? They take their American dollars and they build new homes in the Philippines. They hire maids to clean their homes. They hire landscapers. They buy clothing. They buy electronics like television sets and computers. Brain drain is not quite an accurate term. It's more like a brain loan. These countries are loaning their brains, loaning their talent to other countries. Those people are making a lot of money, and they're sending a lot of it back. So if you live in a country where the economy is not great, or you live in a country where there's repression or some sort of issue, and it's not easy to get a good career, you may actually benefit your country by moving away, working in the United States as a doctor, or even as a maid, or as a gas station attendant, building up a little bit of money, bringing that back, and then supporting the economy in the country that's sending the immigrants out. Fabio Rojas also argues that open borders and all these benefits open borders could bring for migrant workers, for their families, for their home countries, they don't have to mean a huge sacrifice on the U.S.'s part. The policy could actually be really good for us. We get more workers, more taxpayers, more creative people, more entrepreneurs. When you open the borders... You bring in the best people from other countries because it takes money, it takes time, it takes planning. You often have to learn a new language. These are challenges that people with a lot of issues may not be able to handle. But people with a lot of education, a lot of entrepreneurial spirit, a lot of grit, those kinds of people will say, yeah, I'll take that risk. I will learn a new language. I will come to America and be part of the country. So if you're really looking out for America, you want to make America a better place. You want the best people possible. And if you put those two things together, the ethics and the benefits of migration, you're led in a direction that suggests we should really open the borders. This all sounds great, but I wanted to also talk about some of the reasons people push back on open borders, why they might think this is going too far. People worry about the details. You need to figure out things like, do you screen people or not? You need to figure out... If you're going to check for smuggled goods, you'd need to figure out how to build new schools for people moving here, how to build new houses for people moving here. But the first worry that comes up when you talk about immigration is jobs. And that's something that Fabio Rojas can speak to. He says the whole people will come and take our jobs idea has a really fundamental flaw. It assumes that there's a fixed pie of jobs that doesn't change in size like a fixed block of jobs. And if somebody gets a job, another person doesn't get a job. That's really a misleading way to think about an economy. And the reason is, is that migrants create jobs because they have to eat, which means they have to buy stuff from the supermarket. They have to drive a car, which means they have to go to the gas station. They may need their children to get vaccinated, so they take their kids to the pediatrician. They certainly need to live in a house or an apartment, so they have to rent from somebody. So immigrants, what they do is they expand the pie. They expand the economy. So in the same way that a person from Indiana doesn't steal a job from a native of Chicago, a person from Mexico doesn't steal a job from a person in California. Instead, 
They compete for jobs, and they also create jobs because they have to spend money to work and live in the new place. And that's what's different about people moving than, say, TV sets, where if you just produce more TV sets, the price of TVs goes down. You often hear the argument that people who are competing more directly for the same kinds of jobs, say like dishwashers or other low-skilled American workers, might lose out even if Americans benefit as a whole. And the evidence there is actually fairly modest to negative in the sense that when you see a big influx of people, in some cases, it does negatively affect the employment statistics in places, but not as much as you think. Most economists would say that people already in the U.S. are probably not hurt. Or if anyone is hurt, it's previous immigrants because they're directly competing with the new ones. That said, there are some economists who argue that poor Americans see lower wages. And there's one specific example that's talked about a lot. There was a big group of Cubans who immigrated to Miami all at once in 1980. And for decades, people have been fighting about whether or not those Cuban immigrants temporarily brought down wages for low-income Floridians. But I'll say back up. Hold on. Let's say that the most conservative argument is right. Let's say there is a small impact on low-income Floridians. A few people are going to be a little bit less well-off in the short term. And in exchange, you get a huge benefit for all the people who are escaping from Cuba, which is a very poor place with a lot of repression. The other thing that I'll also note is that markets readjust. People find new jobs. They find better jobs. And remember, all those people coming in, that's a new market that can be served. And you can make money off of that. You can make a living off of that. And you'll be better off if you let them in. But a lot of the backlash against immigration isn't economic. There's also a, a cultural feeling that, that you're sort of losing some culture that you grew up with. And this sort of bleeds into outright bigotry pretty easily, but it's real. Right. So look at the historical evidence. The United States absorbed tens of millions of people from Russia, Germany, France, England, and then later China and Mexico... This country has been a mother of exiles, the cradle of a new race of men, and a young nation with old-world memories. If you take the average American, uh, their grandparents or great-grandparents may have come from Italy or Ireland or Germany. Or, as this 1955 radio play puts it, Dutch, Swedes, French, Germans, Jews, Scots. Many Americans believe that the melting pot was boiling over from new ingredients that could not be properly absorbed. And I would say people were worried a hundred years ago, 150 years ago, that your Irish grandparents or your German great-grandparents, people were worried that they would make the country worse off. They would ruin the culture of America. Violence and bigotry was directed against all foreign-born, but especially the Irish because of their religion, some of their habits, and their extraordinary activity in American politics. And back then, people did say a lot of kind of outrageous things about people from Ireland and people from Italy. But what did we learn from that experience? Oh, these processes of Americanization and amalgamation were far stronger than the separation of any national or ethnic group. Today, some of the most distinguished Americans in public life and the professions are the descendants of people whom the champions of Nordic supremacy once called barbarians. We learned from that experience that if you let people be in peace, let them find jobs, let them get educated, most of them will do very, very well. Most people will assimilate, and they'll adopt the culture of the land that they move to. And their children will become Americans, just like you and me. So let's say, for the sake of argument, that Fabio Rojas is right. Let's say open borders is a really good solution. 
The question then is, could we sell the American people on it? After the break... Let me put it this way. I don't know how you could do that in, a, in, a, in an immediate shock to the system like that. A guy whose whole job is selling people on immigration policy gives us his answer. Could one of the most brazen political bribery scandals in American history have played out before the country's eyes while no one was actually looking? Bagman, a new Rachel Maddow podcast from MSNBC, goes back 45 years to dig into a story that got overshadowed in its day. It has intrigue, corruption, envelopes of cash delivered to the White House. It's a story that's not well known, but probably should be, especially today. Bagman, an original podcast from MSNBC's Rachel Maddow. Listen for free wherever you get your podcasts or learn more at msnbc.com bagman. I've heard you described sometimes as a fixer. Is that a term that you like? I mean, it's like any lawyer. You come to a lawyer with a problem, and it's the job of the lawyer to figure out how to fix that problem. Leon Fresco is an immigration attorney in D.C. He worked in the Office of Immigration Litigation for the Obama administration. And before that, he was Senator Chuck Schumer's staffer. I know a little bit about immigration, yes. He's the guy you go to if you have an immigration problem or a policy idea. He'll give you a big grin, a couple of jokes... (laughs) and a three-pronged strategy to solve your issue. A solution that works with the courts, the Congress, and the administration. So if somebody wants to call that fixer, you call it whatever you want. We figured if anyone could help us figure out just how realistic open borders would be in actual practice, it's Leon. We asked him to walk us through his process for getting a really simple and small change to immigration policy passed. He gave us an example. We have a uh, bipartisan bill in the Senate that has Senators Mike Lee and Kamala Harris to resolve the the situation of the very long wait time for people uh, waiting for green cards from India and from China. How would you categorize this bill in terms of things you could do on immigration? Is this like a really big step? Is it more of a tweak? This would be the smallest possible thing you could do on immigration. It's literally eliminating a digit from a 10,000-page code. And it is still the amount of work and sweat that all of these members put into calling their members of Congress, visiting them, talking to them, pushing and pushing. Clearly, even a tiny tweak is a big lift. One of the main things Leon and his team have to do is go into congressional offices and talk with the staffers there. He convinces them, one at a time, to sign on, which means answering all their questions. The one question that's always asked Who else supports the bill? What does the business organizations think? What do the labor unions think? What do the immigrant rights groups think? What do the anti-immigrant groups think? And so you spend a lot of time then having to explain to all of those groups what your bill does, even though obviously none of those folks are members of Congress, but you have to try to gain their support so that then you can go back to the people who are asking you these questions and say, oh, you know, they're fine with it. They support it. They're neutral. People have asked, show us that you have a thousand members in our district that care about this. And so we'd have to come up with a rally in like, you know, a week. You could see all this as an argument for going for a really big change, like open borders. Something you could focus all your energy on instead of getting lost in tiny fixes. If it's going to be hard, why not go big? And Leon has worked on bills that went for big change. Like the Gang of Eight bill from 2013. Four Democrats and four Republicans working towards a reform that had nothing to do with open borders, 
but was still huge. He says that it was an exponentially heavier lift. Well, it's just a lot more time consuming because what you do is you take a small bill and you multiply the amount of questions by about, you know, tenfold. And at the end of the day, it fell apart. It didn't pass. This is an episode about the most dramatic change to American immigration policy that you can imagine. It's open borders. So let's say I'm Senator Matthews. I've just been elected. I'm not worried about getting reelected. I come to you. I say, Leon, my one dream in life is that anyone in the world who wants to move to America can do that tomorrow. What do you say to me? Well, I mean, so I I, I have a wonky answer and I have a non-wonky. So the very simple answer is we can't get that accomplished. This from a guy whose specialty is getting stuff accomplished or at least coming up with a solid plan of action. He walked us through some of his reasoning. First, he says he'd have to go talk to political staffers. And most of those staffers wouldn't even hear him out. Most of the people you could never get past the initial, my boss would never do it, what's the point of even having this discussion? But even if staffers took him seriously, he'd have to answer their questions. For me, at least, it's easy to jump on board the open borders train after I hear Rojas's pitch. But even I'd acknowledge that there are a lot of details you'd need to work out to adopt the policy in practice. Again, what do you do about security or vetting people? How do we absorb so many people all at once? What does it look like for schools or hospitals or housing? But let's say we have answers for all those questions and we bring them to the staffers. Then I think the answer you get 99 out of 100 times is, okay, let me go check with my boss. And then those people never talk to you again. Like, you'll never get a second meeting. You'll never get to talk to that staffer, and it just won't go anywhere. And so the kind of thing you'd have to do to get that second meeting is you'd have to mobilize thousands of people in that person's district or state to go to their town halls, to email them every day, to make phone calls saying, no, 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 we're serious we want open borders, and then they'd have to start responding. But if it's that'd have to be part of some sort of unprecedented grassroots movement where somebody felt like their existence as a member of Congress actually required them to change their mind on that issue. We're not at that point, obviously. We do not have control of our borders. It's an immigration system that's out of control. Illegal aliens. Illegal aliens. Illegal aliens. And we are building a wall on the southern border, which is absolutely necessary. If the world was the voting public, then the world would happily support open borders. But if you say only the 330 million Americans are the voting public, what you're going to soon find is that many, many, many more Americans are extremely nervous about this policy and would reject it out of hand than the number of Americans who are willing to give you an open mind. As someone who's in the nitty gritty of this and has been for a long time, do you sort of find economists and philosophers and radicals from outside the political process calling for things like open borders helpful or does it distract the issue? What I think is not helpful in the grand scheme of things is if too many of the members of the Democratic Party believe in completely open borders, 
then I do think it is a natural lizard brain reaction for someone who only has two choices. I have to vote for the party of open borders or I have to vote for the party of draconian family separation and God knows what else to choose the second one because at least the second one has some order to it. People don't just like fundamentally like to take risks like that and say, well, we're just going to open the border. We'll let you know how this all works out. Fabio Rojas is more hopeful. His academic research actually focuses on how fringe ideas can become mainstream. Yes, the open borders movement is an unpopular movement, but at the same time, that's how a lot of movements start out. A couple hundred years ago, if you said that black people and white people were equal in the eyes of God, people would have been horrified. They would have said, no, no, blacks and whites are are different. But you just slowly make the argument. And so what I and my colleagues of the Open Borders Movement are hoping to do is to really start a very slow, gradual process where we engage the public and we say, look, if it was okay for your grandparents to migrate to America, it's probably okay for that guy. And that's not something that people buy into. But little by little, we have to make the argument, we have to get it out there, we have to communicate with people and say, America is a great country when it's a country of open doors. Both Fabio Rojas and Leon Fresco agree on one thing, at least. In order for open borders to go through, you would need a massive upswell of support. You'd have to figure out answers to all the logistical questions, and you'd have to convince people to get on board. So that's a less obvious cost, the cost of persuading voters. But it's a real cost, and it's a cost that doesn't end once the policy is adopted. You'd have to keep fighting to prevent a backlash. But persuasion is a cost that's mostly borne by individuals, trying to win over their friends and their family and their neighbors. Open borders isn't going to happen because of a decision that some foundation or government makes, at least not anytime soon. If it happens, it's going to happen because individual people worked really hard to persuade fellow voters that it's the right thing to do. So if you think that open borders is an intervention worth fighting for, then fight for it. Our wonderfully talented producer is Bird Pinkerton. Our editor is Amy Drozdowska. We got a lot of help and owe a lot of thanks to Jillian Weinberger. Our engineer is Jarrett Floyd. We have music from Chris Zabriskie, Blue Dot Sessions, and Scott Gratton. Many thanks to Dara Lynn for her help on this episode and to the New York Municipal Archives and WNYC Studio for use of the radio play The Immigrant in American History. Future Perfect is made possible through a grant from the Rockefeller Foundation. To read more of our reporting on effective altruism, check out fox.com slash futureperfect.